The following content is provided to you as a ministry of Snowbird Wilderness Outfitters, a high-adventure Christian wilderness camp in Andrews, North Carolina. Snowbird Wilderness Outfitters exist to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ through the exposition of Scripture and personal relationships in order to equip the church to impact this generation. For more information, visit our website at swoutfitters.com or follow us on Twitter using the handle at SnowbirdSwo. Enjoy the message. Amen. Now that you've gotten all comfortable, I want you to grab your Bibles, open up to Numbers chapter 20, and then we're going to stand again because we're going to read God's Word and stand in reverence of it. And I just want to let you know as you're turning your way there, Numbers chapter 20, what a privilege, what an honor it is for me to be here with you. And I don't mean that as cliche or just blowing smoke. Uh, I'm one of you, as you heard. I've uh, been serving in student ministry. Uh, next year will make 20 years for me. And I, I want to let you know, I, I feel like I'm talking to family tonight, and uh, that, is a, that is a humbling privilege for me. And I hope that uh, you will see what I've seen in this passage, because I believe it has a special word for us, uh, specifically as those that work with youth and with families. We have a calling. We have an amazing calling. We have a responsibility But this is a, this weekend is really about two words, found faithful. What does it mean to be found faithful? That's what we're going to answer tonight. We're going to look to God's word together. And I think you're going to see in this passage a word of warning and a word of encouragement. And I hope you see both of them tonight. And I want to make Our goal tonight, crystal clear, you're going to hear me say this throughout, this is the core truth I want you to hear tonight. I want this to sink into your souls, I want it to echo in your ears, I want it to be in your hearts when you go back to your place of ministry and service. And that truth is this, when God measures your ministry, he measures it in faithfulness. When God looks at what he has given you to be a steward over, every aspect of your ministry, every aspect of your calling, every, every part of your life, he measures it in faithfulness. I hope you've had a chance to find your way to Numbers 20. Let's stand together and read God's word beginning in verse 1. And the people of Israel, the whole congregation, came into the wilderness of Zin in the first month. And then the people stayed in Kadesh, and Miriam died there and was buried there. Now there was no water for the congregation, and they assembled themselves together against Moses and against Aaron. And the people quarreled with Moses and said, Would that we have perished when our brothers perished before the Lord. Why have you brought the assembly of the Lord into this wilderness, that we should die here? both we and our cattle. And why have you made us come up out of Egypt to bring us to this evil place? It is no place for grain or figs or vines or pomegranates, and there's no water to drink. Then Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly to the entrance of the tent of meeting and fell on their faces. And the glory of the Lord appeared to them. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Take the staff. And assemble the congregation, you and Aaron and your brother, and tell the rock before their eyes to yield its water. So you shall bring water out of the rock for them and give drink to the congregation and their cattle. And Moses took the staff from before the Lord as he commanded him. Then Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock. And he said to them, Hear now, you rebels. Shall we bring water for you out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand and he struck the rock with his staff twice. And water came out abundantly. And the congregation drank and their livestock. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not believe in me, to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I gave them. 
These are the waters of Meribah, where the people of Israel quarreled with the Lord, and through them he showed himself holy. Let's pray again. Father, I do want to thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth. Thank you that the truth that we have the privilege of teaching to others is the same truth that will speak to our hearts and change our lives now. Would you do that in Christ's name? Amen. And be seated. How many of you have ever coached a little league team or children's sports before? You've coached, see, again, my kind of people. Now, I've done this as a student pastor, but I've also done this as a father. I have three kids. They'll pop in here tomorrow for one of our sessions. You'll get a chance to meet them. But there's a moment that happens in virtually every youth sport. I don't care whether it's basketball, t-ball. It, it doesn't matter. JV football. It doesn't matter. There's going to be one game if you play or coach long enough where you see this moment where a kid scores on the wrong goal. Have you seen it? It's the moment in basketball where the kid gets a breakaway. And I mean, he's dribbling, he's looking at the balls, he goes, and everyone's cheering, and then they realize he's going the wrong direction, and then everyone's screaming, and he just thinks everyone's cheering for him. And so he keeps going and makes a, the first shot that he'll ever make in his life, and it's two points for the other team. That's a little cute, I'll be honest. I, I was the coach that was just kind of like, hey, buddy, you got it in the goal. That's awesome. Then I coached t-ball and softball and baseball and taught that. Uh, I've, I've done that for like nine years now, and I've yet to have a season where uh, we didn't have this happen where a kid just squares it up. I mean, I'm sorry, it's aluminum bat. Ding! And he just sends it straight out into the field and then puts his head down and runs straight to third base. Instant triple, right? <laughs> You've seen the moment? It's really smart when you think about it. You can get away with it. You've seen it in, in peewee leagues, football. You know, they get spun around and go down to the other end of the goal. Here's the thing. It's cute when it's little kids, right? But it's cringeworthy when it's adults. You can go on YouTube. I don't encourage you to do this right now necessarily, but... Go on YouTube tonight and just look up any professional league. And there are highlight reels in ML, like any, it doesn't matter, like soccer, football, like NBA. There's like a 10-minute music video in the NBA of guys that have scored on their own goal, right? And it's like the same thing that's kind of cute when they're little kids is so cringeworthy when they're adults. And why is that? It's like, you know, when you drive by an accident and you're kind of looking but not looking, but it just, you, you watch and you, you kind of cringe. Why is that? Because at the end of the day, we think, well, they should really know better by now, shouldn't they? They're getting paid a lot of money to get the ball over there and they put it over here. I want us to consider tonight that maybe they're not alone. Maybe the men and women in this room tonight, myself included, have been guilty of pursuing the wrong goal. And we come by it honestly. We, we actually have a lot in common, I believe, with Moses here. Uh, what I want to do is I want to walk through this passage with you, and I want you to notice four key areas about faithfulness. The first is this that faithfulness will be challenged by your circumstances. Faithfulness will be challenged by your circumstances. You all probably know the context of the story, but just in case you're not familiar, here's what's going on. Children of Israel being led to the promised land, right? Most scholars would say that they're in the 40th year, meaning that they are on the verge of finally entering that land that the Lord had called them and delivered them from Egypt through all these miraculous means. And now they are so, so close to the promised land. But there's a problem. There's no water. And so what happens? They assemble against Moses and Aaron and say again to them, the, again is very important because this has happened before. In fact, this exact scenario has happened before. And they say the exact same thing that they say here. Would that we had died in Egypt. Oh, it was so much better for us in Egypt, Moses. Really? You don't remember the whole slavery thing that was going on back there? Think for a second. They, 
he, they accuse him of saying, you brought us out here to die. Not just us, but our cattle, for crying out loud. You brought them out here to die. Moses and Aaron do what they know to do. The scripture tells us that what God has taught them to do is to go to him. And so it says that they, they fall on their faces before the Lord. You see, they heard the complaints of the people, but they began by bringing those complaints to the Lord. Forty years. Can you imagine? Now, 40 years that he shepherded those sheep, right? I think that was preparation. I feel like that was a, a good field to prepare for youth ministry too, right? Sights, smells, late nights, all those things, right? But it's true for Moses, same as true for us. 40 years, and what did they do over that 40 years? They saw God work miraculously and they complained about it. That's what they did. They were professional gripers at every turn. And the circumstances that Moses found himself in probably had a lot of sleepless nights like you and I. Probably had a lot of challenges to his authority like you and I. But I want you to notice something else has happened here. The story opens with tragedy. Miriam, his sister, has died. I don't know if that is the case for anyone in this room recently, but we've all probably lost someone, and we know what that feeling is like. We know the heartache of when someone that we love and treasure more than life itself, and they're taken Miriam was a thorn in Moses' side for much of his ministry. She led the charge against him on a couple of occasions, right? But Moses was, was grieved by this, I believe, because Moses understood what you and I know now looking back at the story. Moses would not be where he was if it were not for Miriam. When the mother of Moses put him in that basket, and when he sent, she sent him out, and God sovereignly delivered him even unto Pharaoh's house. Who was there? Miriam. Oh, I, I know someone that would nurse that little boy for you. I know someone that would love, love, love nothing more than to, to help raise that child, to nurse him. And while she did so in those years that she helped care for him, even though he was in the, the house of the Egyptians, what was he hearing? the stories of God's people, the very stories that he would then turn around and write that we're reading tonight. As ministers of the gospel, regardless of your role, no one in this room is exempt from the complaining. No one in this room is exempt from the challenges. No one in this room is exempt from heartache. The stats and the research that's out there from ministers, from pastors, student pastors, missionaries, all across the board, the numbers continue to rise amongst our group as well when it comes to depression and anxiety, to people getting burnt out and people walking away. People are walking away from the ministry every day. People are walking away from student ministry every day. And the heartache seems to be too much to bear. But what I want you to see is before you start fighting with God at what he has done for you or what he has done to you, you need to pause tonight and ask yourself honestly, maybe it is that in the midst of the heartache, in the midst of the challenge, in the midst of the complaining, maybe it's not about those things. Maybe it is about what God is wanting to do in you. Maybe it's a work that he is beginning in this nation that's he's leading them on this journey. He's leading them by a fire by night, a cloud by day and fire by night. He's providing for them in all of these miraculous ways. Doesn't it just blow your mind that they could walk through the Red Sea, sing this amazing song, you know, break out in musical style? My wife loves that. I'm confused by that. But they they had this miraculous moment of witnessing God's power, then immediately turn around and act like it never happened. But is our world today any different? Right? We work with students. 
We're used to the mountaintops and the valley lows. We are used to all those highs and lows in between that come with working in that areas where the only certain thing is uncertainty. Consider this tonight. They were constantly witnessing God's goodness, but they were constantly giving themselves over to their circumstances. The circumstances that are in your life tonight do not create faithfulness, nor do they create faith. What they do is they reveal the condition of your faith. The challenges you're facing right now in your family, in your ministry, the challenges that you left when you got in the car or hopped on that plane that brought you here tonight, wherever that finds you, they are revealing that work that God is doing in you. And you and I must make a choice tonight if you will choose to follow Jesus even in the midst of difficult circumstances. Are you going to follow Jesus if or even if? Are you going to follow Jesus if the church supports it? If the people back you? If the people don't complain? If the people in your own family are on board? If the paycheck is enough? If you have enough rest or enough comfort or enough luxury in your life, if you have all the things that you hoped it would be, if you have affirmation, if you have encouragement. Listen, these aren't bad things. But we've got to be people that follow Jesus even if. Even if all of those things are gone. Though none go with me, still I will follow. No turning that is our challenge. That is our calling. That faithfulness will be challenged by your circumstances. Notice also that our faithfulness will be shaped. Faithfulness will be shaped by your perspective. Faithfulness will be shaped by your perspective. As I mentioned before, you are my folks and my people, my family. And so there's a question that I get asked all the time that only people in this room can resonate with. Raising three kids done a lot of schooling, all that stuff, been in ministry about 20 years, all that stuff, and I still get asked about once a month, what are you going to do when you grow up? <laughs> no, seriously, I mean, shouldn't you be like, I don't know, do some like pastoring or ministry or whatever? And I, I'm constantly scratching my head and looking at people saying, I, I thought I was doing ministry. I thought this was pastoring. I thought this was calling, right? People are constantly looking at you like you're just a person that doesn't want to grow up or a person that doesn't want to move beyond the life of youth ministry, maybe there's a little twinge of truth to that. But let's be honest. You don't come to youth ministry for the perks, people. <laughs> right? Have you seen the perk list? Let me know when you find it. <laughs> this is what our calling is. This is what we are called to. But our perspective shapes our faithfulness. Think about this for a second. It, it, is it, it's true in your church and your family and your jobs. Listen, the problem with our goals is we are often basing them off the wrong set of standards. And we have a world around us. And even in the church, if I could just be real with you tonight, we have a church culture around us that defines success in a very ungodly, worldly way. And it is so easy to buy into the lie just because it is being repeated to us over and over and over. We just accept it. Well, what about Moses? How do we know that Moses had a bad perspective here? I want to show you in two verses, just a few little words here. I want you to look at verses 5 and 10. Moses' perspective and the perspective of the people had shifted here. Verse 5, why have you... You can underline that if you want to. Made us come out of, the other phrase, out of Egypt to bring us to this evil place. There's a play on words here in the Hebrew. You see it again in verse 10. It says, now Moses gathered the assembly together for the rock. He said to them, here now you rebels, shall we bring water for you out of this rock? 
So there's a play on words here when Moses is no doubt yelling this at the people. He's fed up. He's had enough. He's gone to bat for them over and over before the Lord, right? There's, there's incidences and there's times where God sovereignly allows the prayers of Moses to spare his people, right? But the roles have reversed here. Moses is saying, no, you rebels, you want me to bring water out of this rock in the same way? Now, who does he say? Me. Who do you want us to bring water for you out of this rock? Same Hebrew word where he talks about bringing them out of Egypt. The problem is not the verb. The problem is the subject. Who delivered these people? God. Moses, bro, you had an amazing role in this. There are going to be so many movies made about you. Some of them are going to be confusing, you know? It'll be a cartoon one with a couple of catchy songs, but man, you're going to hold a stick and you're going to lead these people out. But who delivers his people? The Lord. Who calls water from the rock? The Lord. Who has delivered the people out of Egypt? The Lord. His perspective changed, and when his perspective changed, it changed everything. I want you to see this tonight. Do not miss this. They could not see, just like Moses could not see, that it was God bringing them out. They redefined the past and it redirected their future. You and I have a place of calling. If we had time tonight, you know what I'd love to do? I'd love to go around this room and ask, how did you get in this thing? I would love to, because I think there would be laughter and tears, and they would just be an amazing thing to do. But I'm telling you, like, there's some camaraderie that would be there, right? You know that moment when you knew this is what God had called you to do? I want you to go back to that moment for a second. I could take you to the spot for me. Maybe you don't have a moment like that. Maybe it was a series of things. But I want you to revisit that for a moment. When we have moments of doubt, when we have moments of inner turmoil and struggle and our perspective gets skewed, what's the first thing we forget? That calling. Was that calling conditional on having the right circumstances? No. Was that calling conditional on having the right perspective? No. They forgot the past and they they changed their mind on the future. And the same thing can happen to us tonight. Brothers and sisters, we can forget the goal. We can forget what this whole thing is about. Because if anything, the truth of the gospel changes everything. And we know that, we teach that, but does that change our own mindset of our own calling? The fact that the gospel is true. If believing the gospel does not give you new life goals, you are not believing the right gospel. You are not believing the real gospel. At the root of the gospel, we find more than our message that we give out to students. We find our identity. Christ is our identity tonight. What do you do? You work with youth. Same as me. But that's not who you are. You hear that tonight? That might be the most important thing you hear. You are not your gift. You are not your calling. First and foremost, you need to understand in God's eyes, he sees you as his son or his daughter. That is your starting point tonight. And how did you get there? Did you get you yourself there? Did you call yourself out of sin? Did you call yourself into this ministry? Did you call yourself to do the things that you were doing and serving every single week? If so, run. But you know that's not true, or you wouldn't be here. So how is the gospel going to continue to shape us? We get frustrated. Our circumstances change. Our perspective change. This is going on in the world around us too, by the way. You know, psychologists, sociologists, not just Christians, but 
in the world around us have started bringing out new diagnosis for uh, issues dealing with paranoia and anxiety and depression. One of the most interesting to me that's surfaced in recent years, uh, in large part due to social media, is what they call stock family syndrome. I don't know if you've ever heard of this. Let me explain stock family syndrome. You've, you've seen it, whether you've heard of it or not. So you go to Target or Walmart or order off Amazon or whatever, a picture frame. What's going to be in that picture frame? A picture, right? It's not your picture. That would be really creepy. But it's a picture. And it's a picture typically of a family. And if you buy it like in the winter around Christmas or whatever, it's a family where everyone's kind of dressed in their Christmas sweaters. And we're not talking like, you know, youth party, ugly Christmas sweaters. We're talking like nice Christmas sweaters. And they're all looking straight ahead, perfect smiles. Even the children, the babies, that's a crock. They're smiling. (laughs) They're looking forward. I'm like, yeah, I could do that. Picture 7,492, right? If they have a dog, that dog is even looking at the camera and smiling. Why? Because it's a stock photo. Its sole purpose is to make that frame look attractive to you, right? So here's what the psychologists, sociologists have said, and I think they're onto something here. They say, what happens when you take that picture out and you put yours in? You're like, oh, huh. You dig that one out of the trash and... Maybe cut the dog out, put the baby, you know, all that stuff. Photoshop 101, right? Here's what they say. That you and I, the world around us, with the innovations that have come across with social media, with the connectivity that we have with one another's lives, that what is happening is we are comparing our day-to-day lives against someone else's highlight reel against that one moment to, to shine, right? And we look at that, and our families look at that and say, how in the world do I measure up against it? They will never measure up against it because it's not real. And listen, I shake my head at that, but I'm guilty of doing the same thing. Are you not guilty of doing the same thing? Maybe it's not a, a stock family photo, but maybe it's a ministry platform. Maybe it's, it's an opportunity that someone else has that you don't have. Maybe it's a church that someone serves in that you're not serving in. Maybe it's a group of students that are on fire for the Lord over here, and they're like storming the, the world for Jesus, and yours are over here like... What, 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 what time are we supposed to be at the church? faithfulness if it means anything to you and I tonight we've got to use the right scorecard we've got to shoot for the right goal and I'll just I'll get real with you tonight this isn't just our ministry calling this can happen in our families this can happen in our marriages this can happen in our own parenting we can make when we have idealistic ways about the way something should look and then our perspective changes because it doesn't look the way that we think it should look, we make an idol. Ministry is awesome, but it makes a terrible idol. Your children, most of the days, (laughs) awesome, right? They're terrible idols. Your spouse gift from God, but not God. If you were waiting on a certain platform, if you were waiting on a certain opportunity, if you were waiting on a certain set of conditions to enter into your life and your family and your ministry and your calling, you're going to be waiting forever. Serve faithfully with what the Lord has given you. When God measures success, he's going to measure it in faithfulness. Number three, faithfulness will be determined by your obedience. Faithfulness will be determined by your obedience. I want you to look back in verse nine. What is Moses told to do? 
He's told, he says take, in verse 8, take the staff, assemble the congregation, you and Aaron and your brother. And then what's he to do to the rock? Speak, right? Tell the rock. Does God say anything in here about talking to the people? He was to assemble the people, but then he was to put all the focus on the rock, right? Speak to the rock. So it says, verse 9, Moses took the staff from before the Lord as he commanded him. Step one, Moses take the staff, check. And that was it. That was it. That's as far as it went. God gave him three steps. He thought he could make it there in one. Make no mistake. The consequences were devastating. I love the life and the story of Moses, but I'll be honest with you. It was a long time before I could really even teach this passage because it used to make me so uncomfortable. I'll be honest with you. I remember reading this as a young believer thinking, ooh, I wish this wasn't in here. Because it seems like, at, at a glance, like God's just being a little too harsh here. Really? But Moses has done so much for you, the Lord. This one mistake, right? And then he just blows it and everything. But I want you to take more than a glance. I want you to take a second look here. Because if you're not careful, you can miss what's really going on here. Here's the question. What is happening in Moses' heart? He disobeyed. He robbed God of the glory he deserved. Moses demonstrated in this moment an unholy anger and pride. He says to the people, you rebels. Question, <laughs> who's the rebel in this moment? Moses, right? But he's screaming at these people. He's, he's at his wit's end. He says, you rebels. It's the same thing. It reminds me when Uzzah reached out for the ark, when they're transporting the ark. Remember that? And he touched it. And he was struck dead. At first it seems harsh. But you and I know the truth. That it's not that God is too harsh. It's not that we have underestimated that calling that we have been given. It's that we've underestimated our sinfulness that we've underestimated the holiness of God. See, Uzzah said in this one moment, I, he's convinced when he touched that ark, ark of the covenant, he said in his heart, the dirt below me is more offensive to God than my sin, my sinful flesh. Moses in this moment said that my, my agenda my lesson that I'm going to teach these people, give them what they deserve, is more important than the holiness, than the glory, and, and even the redemptive story of God. You say, well, that's a lot. Let me explain this to you for a second. I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians 10. And we may have this on the screen. 1 Corinthians 10. See, the truth is Moses is playing a role much more like Pharaoh in this moment than he is a deliverer. He's acting a lot more like Pharaoh. But the stakes get even higher. Look in 1 Corinthians 10, beginning in verse 1. Paul's writing. He says this, I want you to know, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them and the rock was Christ. See, here's what's happening here. That rock was a picture. It was a shadow. It was a foretaste of the ultimate water giver, right? What was Moses to do? Speak. But when this story happened earlier, what was it God told him to do? Strike it. 
So Moses is only doing, again, he does it twice this time, but he's only doing what God had told him to do before. Think of this in the, the redemptive story. How is it that Christ brings out our deliverance in that living water? He was first struck. He was first bruised. He was beaten. He was crucified. But that took place once and once only. Writer of Hebrews makes that clear. He will never suffer again. How is it that the gospel is to communicate and and how is the hope of the truth of Christ to be spread from that moment on? By speaking. What Moses did here in this moment was rob God of his glory. He spit in the face of sovereignty. He's trampled on the holiness of God. And you may say, well, maybe Moses did not understand and see all of that typology and Christology that's going on here. It does not matter. God told him what to do in that very moment. And when we're confused or we don't know what to do and we're trying to choose between obedience and disobedience, understand this tonight. When we are confused, we think what we need is understanding. We do not need understanding. We need trust. The area that you may be struggling with the most right now I'm, I'll just be honest, I'm, I'm a logic-based guy, and I've gotten in arguments with people all the time. Like, I just, it doesn't make sense to me. It's kind of like a black and white. Everything has to be kind of rational and upside and everything, and I struggle with this sometimes. It doesn't have to make sense. You have to trust, because you know God has a plan in the end, and that plan is so much greater and bigger than anything else that you and I could ever imagine. So let's move forward in the story. Imagine being there in this moment. Let's all transport ourselves, right? We're going to hop in a giant DeLorean. We're going to go back to that place and time, and we're going to be the people, right? Now, let's imagine Moses and Aaron up here. I'm going to imagine myself in the Moses role, but I really don't want to be in that role, but let's put it right here. And you're the people. What's your reaction? You cheer. You clap. You, I don't know if they high-fived each other or what, but I guarantee there was a lot of hugging and cheering and singing and dancing and everything because as they had all the water they could drink, both them and their cattle. So if you're looking at this, if you hop in the time machine and you're looking at what's going on here, it looks like that day was a huge success then God brings Moses and Aaron over here to the side and he says that was not success Moses you were unfaithful you were unfaithful Moses do you hear the heartache of God in this moment He's disciplining the one he loves, but he's speaking to him as the deliverer. You were unfaithful. I know what that day looked like, Moses. I know what it looks like to them. No doubt if their upcoming business meeting, there would be a PowerPoint presentation of another successful miracle, right? One step closer to the promised land. Yes, sir. But this day was a tragedy. Make no mistake about it. Moses was unfaithful. My fear for us is not that we are going to be failures. My fear for myself is not that I would be a failure, but that you and I would succeed at things that ultimately do not matter. And that you and I would be unfaithful in the most critical areas of our calling. It is such an easy trap to fall into, even in the church. Is success in ministry based on God's commands and obedience to that or the standards of the world? Is it based on how many people come and sit in the chairs in your youth area or sit in the pews or the chairs of your church? Or is it based on how many are loving the Lord their God with all of their heart, soul, mind, and strength? Is it based on how many are leaving that sanctuary, leaving that youth meeting to go out and to reach the world for Christ, to make disciples? Which one do you get judged on? 
Which one does God judge you on? Which one matters? I want to reach as many people for Christ too. But you and I know something pretty simple. If you read any of the Gospels, you know that crowds follow Jesus everywhere. But few believed. I come from a Baptist tradition, and we always talk about the three B's, buildings, budgets, butts, and seats. Right? That's how we define success from an outside perspective. Are you going to let that be your marker? Are you going to bow to that idol? Or are you and I going to live for a different standard? Are we going to shoot for a different goal? You say, well, maybe it's, it's not about numbers. It, maybe it's about reputation, right? We want our student ministry, we want our church to have an amazing reputation. And that's awesome. Because we are called to be salt and light to our community and our schools and those around us. But reputation in of itself is not the marker for success. I want to read to you what Jesus says to the church of Sardis. Revelation 3, 2. Just listen to these words. You can write it down and read, look at it later. This is heavy. I mean, here's what he says to this church. This is Jesus speaking. I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive but you are dead. You have an appearance of life, of busyness, of activity, but Jesus is looking at this church saying, I see the heart. I see what's going on behind the veil. The same is true today. Churches are made up of people, youth groups made of people, but those people must have the right goals. You and I must have the right goals and we must lead them to have the right goals. If you're the lone voice standing for the right goals, it is a fight worth fighting. There's so much on the line here. We must stop basing our faith on other people and things. We must stop basing our ministry on what we don't have or where we don't get to go or what we don't get to do, what platform we do not have. We must start basing it on one word, and that word is faithfulness. What has God called you to? That's what he says in Matthew 25 when he's giving out the talents. Is he who is faithful and little will be given much. Whether that's this life or as I would believe more in the new heavens and the new earth. Listen, there are going to be bivocational or volunteer student pastors that I believe serve faithfully and are given great ruling authority in the new heavens and new earth. Going to be given responsibility beyond what their understanding is right now. now. I think that there are going to be some mega church pastors and mega parachurch ministry leaders that had an appearance of busyness, but a corrupt and unfaithful heart that are going to be brought low. On that day, everything's going to be turned on its head. Where will you be found when that day comes? Where will you be found? Will you be found like Moses here? Where this moment changes so much in your life? Know this tonight. Know this. God is looking at your life at this very moment on this mountainside. He is looking at the details of your life. He is looking into your very heart and soul. And he as your maker, as your judge, and as your savior. And all that he sees in your life, he is measuring it in faithfulness what have you done with what he has given you to do and what he's commanded of you i'll close with this faithfulness will be defined by your savior we know that it's ultimately all about jesus anyway right we need to understand faithfulness will be challenged by your circumstances. Faithfulness will be shaped by your perspective. Faithfulness will be determined by your obedience. And finally, faithfulness will be defined by your Savior. Get this. Don't miss this. This is good. Moses disobeyed, right? The consequences were devastating, right? 
but the water still flowed. This is a picture of the infinite mercy of God seen in one crystal clear moment here. And I'll just be honest with you tonight. That gives me hope. It gives me hope that God works through imperfect people like me. Guys, I have messed up. You know? Like I, even when I do things right, like so many times it's just the heart's not all in the, always in the right place. And yet God still blesses and uses that. And sometimes I have to step back and say, okay, even when I'm not faithful, the example of faithfulness in the scripture is not Moses. The example of faithfulness in my life is ultimately not me. It's Christ. So what about Moses? When I began, I told you this was a, a message of warning, but a message of encouragement. And <laughs> you're thinking, waiting on that encouragement there. Here it is. Moses faced the consequences for his disobedience. But for those of you thinking, oh, this is such a sad ending and a message about faithfulness, let me just remind you of something you already know, and that is that the story does not end there. What happens in the following chapters, in the closing of Deuteronomy, God takes Moses up Mount Nebo, right? He shows him the promised land. He shows him all that he had given his life to. He allows him to look, but not to enter. And Moses sees all the promises of God that he'd heard up to that point. He sees the things that he had longed for. He sees the things that his heart, with every waking moment, when he wake up in the morning, his last thought when he went to bed at night, no doubt, year after year after year, what it longed for, he saw it, but he didn't get to go in. You fast forward. Gospel of Matthew. There's another mountain. Scripture tells us that Jesus goes up on a mountain with three of his disciples, Peter, James, and John. And he's transfigured. That God's glory comes spilling out of him. That the disciples are pulling back and, and just in awe and wonder of that moment. They, they don't even want to leave. They want to set up camp there forever. The gospel writers are very clear, though. In addition to Elijah, who's standing next to the Son of God? Moses. You want to see the promises of God, Moses? You want to see what you've been working for? You want to see what you've been praying for, dreaming about, giving your life, and all that blood, blood and sweat and all those late nights? You want to see what you've been longing for with every fiber of your being, with the deepest desires of your soul, Moses? Look in the face of Jesus. All the promises of God find their yes and their amen in him. Youth leaders, you want to see the promises of God? You want to see the deepest longings of your heart fulfilled? You don't have to wait to the end. You can see right now. You have something that Moses didn't have. You can look now, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, that we behold the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That's our hope. When we are faithless, he is faithful. He will not allow you, even in our stumbling and our failings, to fall. So let's strive for obedience. Let's strive for faithfulness, knowing that we are not going to make it on our own merit. The same grace that saved you is going to carry you throughout all your days of ministry to the very end, just like it did with Moses. And you're going to see the same glory that he saw. 
You see it now, but one day you're going to see it in its fullness. That's the day that matters. That's the day to be judged by. That's the day that Luther says, there's two days on my calendar, this day and that day. When you and I stand and we look at the face of Christ, the Bible says that every knee is going to bow. Every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And then in that moment, through all the things that God looks at your life, just as he's looking at your life right now, he's going to look at you then. And you're going to make it not on your own merit, but by his grace. But there's one last thing that you and I long to hear. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter in to the joys prepared for you. Let's pray. As our worship leaders come back to lead us, I want to ask you very simply tonight. When was the last time you prayed for faithfulness? And I mean really prayed that you would be found faithful. That's more than a catchy theme to a weekend. That's more than just a, a phrase to hang a hat on. It's what our whole lives are going to be measured by. So tonight, as we close in worship, I want to invite you to look into the face of Christ, just as Moses did. To seek his face and find your strength to continue on in Christ. And by his grace and for his glory, be found faithful on that last day. Lord Jesus, may it be done for your kingdom and your glory in all things. Amen.